every single person watching, doesn't matter what age or race or whatever, we've all experienced this thing where we look at where we are and we say, this is not where I want to be. Like, I expected more out of life than this. Like, I didn't think life was going to turn out this way. I wish I was anywhere else on the planet other than here. I thought about this because a couple of years ago, when I was kind of trying to figure out what my next step was, what my personal next step was, I was doing a little consulting. I was working with some businesses and churches or whatever, and I had a friend call and he said, hey, I'd, I'd love for you to, like, come down and help me with my website or whatever. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'll come down. Well, two or three days before I got there, he said, he called me and said, I am so sorry. I screwed up my schedule. Um, I'm not actually going to be there when, when you get there. You're going to get a day early. But we were staying at his condo on the beach, and it was free. And I was like, I'm still coming. Um, and he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, what I'll do is I'll just leave a car for you because I was going to rent a car. He goes, no, 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 don't rent a car. I'll leave a car for you at the airport. And I said, okay, no problem. Um, could you let me know what kind of car it's going to be? Because that's important. Because if he was going to leave like a Prius, then I needed to plan an hour to try to get in the thing. Um, and he said, he said, I never will forget this word. He goes, oh, I'm going to leave you my Tesla. Now, up until like seven or eight years ago, Tesla was the band that opened for Poison where they were on tour for Open Up and Say Ah. Like Tesla was a hair metal band. And, um, but I found out about this company called Tesla, and you could go on their website and design a car, and every car I designed was like more than my first house. And so I was like, I'll never have one. So I'd never driven a Tesla. And he said, have you ever driven a Tesla? And I said, no. And he said, well, it's easy. You know, just get in the car. So I got in the car. I, I landed at the airport. Oh, oh, but by the way, he said, it's got self-driving mode. You should give it a try. That, in, that went in this ear and out the other, um, which gets weird. I'll explain in just a second. So I got in the car and, and drove to the condo. I had to Google. I had to Google, how do you turn off a Tesla? Because I couldn't get the car to, to turn off. It, you just put the key in your pocket, walk away, and the car turns off. It's crazy. So anyway, the next day, we get in the car, and we're driving around. And he, and he asked me, he said, did you try the self-driving mode? And I was like, nah, man, I, I wasn't. I, I, no, I didn't. He said, oh, my God. This is so cool. And so he, he does some little buttons, and the car, the, the freaking car, drives itself, stops it. Red, and, and I was not comfortable with this at all. Like he, and he's, he's on his phone. He's like, hey, man, did you see this article? And, and I, I'm, I'm sweating. I'm nervous. Um, I'm cussing a lot. Like, that, like there's a lot of things going through my mind. And I told him, I was like, hey, man, hey, man, here's the deal. I don't mind driving. At all. He goes, no, 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 no. The car's going to drive. And I'm like, dude, have you seen the movie Terminator? This is how it all starts. The cars and the phones, are they're, they're going to kill us all. Like, we thought it was funny 30 years ago when it came out, but now we can see it happening. And, and he said, you're not comfortable with the car driving? I said, not only am I not comfortable with the car driving, I'm not comfortable with, with you driving. And that, that's just the thing with me. If I'm going somewhere, I'm going to drive. Thank you very much. Because if I'm in the passenger seat, I do the brake thing, and some of you do it too, especially if you're teaching your kids how to drive. You're just kind of doing the brake thing. I don't, I, I don't like not feeling in control. You ever felt that way? And, and so when things get out of control, we, 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 feel, we feel helpless. 
But then we have trust issues. Like I have trust issues with self-driving cars. I have trust issues with other people driving. I have trust issues with the government. Both sides, Republicans and Democrats. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I have, I have trust issues with the media. You think maybe me, anybody? I've got trust issues with other people. And if I'm going to be incredibly honest today, there have been many times in my life that I've got trust issues with God. Anybody can trust God when life's good. I mean, when life's good and the bills are getting paid and stuff like that. But like, let a global pandemic and unemployment begin to skyrocket. It's hard to trust God. And I'm not, I'm not screaming at people. I'm just telling, I'm acknowledging the fact. It's hard to trust God. It's hard to trust God when you're diagnosed with something you never thought you would get diagnosed with. It's hard to trust God when the relationship falls apart. It's hard to trust God when things are going crazy. It's hard to trust God when we feel like everything in our life is out of control. Which, newsflash, control is the greatest illusion in the universe to begin with. So what do we do when we feel like things are out of control? One of the most popular passages in the scriptures, in fact, this is one of the first passages that I memorized when I became a Christian. It's found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Confession. I'm not there yet. Now, I want to acknowledge that if I could live my life that way, there's so much peace. There is so much joy. There is so much hope. But I would be willing to bet my last Bible that there's not a person watching this today who's honest that could say, we always trust God with all our heart. Because sometimes stuff happens, reminds us that we're not in control. And if we're not careful, we'll go out of control. So let me, let me just kind of walk through this. Let me just kind of walk through this verse and teach you some of the things that I've been learning about it over the past month since I've been like diving into it. And then I want to show you a story in the Bible that if you grew up in Sunday school, you heard this story. You ain't never heard it this way. In fact, we're, I'm going to go and tell you, this sermon is like PG-13 or PG, is it 14 now? Like, yeah. So if you got real young kids, now might be a good time to hand them the iPad and send them out of the room because we're going to talk about some stuff. And, and once, it's just in the Bible. It's just in the Bible. Are you nervous? Good. I'm glad. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, this is frustrating because I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a difficult time, you've ever been going through a difficult season, and you go to somebody at church or another friend that's a Christian, and, and you, you kind of open up to them, and they're like, just trust God. Okay. How, how do you do that? It reminds, me, it reminds me, honestly, of when I played baseball. I played baseball one year. It was horrible. Um, and I could, I could hit the ball in practice. I could, I could mash it in practice. But for some reason, when I got into a game situation, I, I, I froze. I froze. But I had a coach. This was what my coach would tell me Every time I would go to the plate, this is what he would look at me and say, Perry, hit the ball. 
Incredible coaching. I mean, incre- that, that's incredible coaching right there for a, a kid going up to the plate. Hit the ball. And then when I would not hit the ball, he would just yell louder at me. Hit the ball! Hit the ball! Which caused me to, like, freak out even more because I can't handle it when, when I get yelled at. When I get yelled at, I either shut down or I swing. Usually I shut down. But I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm shutting down, and he's yelling at me, hit the ball! Hit the ball! It's not helping me at all. Which reminds me, when we go to church and we're having a hard time trusting God or we're opening up to somebody and they're like, you just need to trust, you just need to trust, you just need to trust. And we're like, ugh, I, we feel like that kid at the plate that can't swing the bat. Until I realized something. This is not a command. It's an invitation. And there's a big difference between a command and an invitation. This is not God pointing his finger. It's God opening his arms. Big difference. This isn't God saying, trust me. It's God saying, you know, you can trust me with that. Because when we're out of control, he's still in control. And the invitation, the invitation is for anyone watching. It, you don't even have to be a Christian to apply this principle. God is inviting us. That area of our life that we think is completely out of control and we're helpless, God is going, you know what? Why don't you just trust me with that? When we do, it, literally our worry, our anxiety, all that stuff begins to disappear. Because instead of trusting in our ability, which, which is the next part, trust in the Lord with your, all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Because all of us can admit that our understanding is limited. Yes. <laughs> Karis. Karis is my 12-year-old daughter. She came to stay with me for a week um, for spring break, which was good because she wasn't in school, which means I didn't have to help her with schoolwork. Um, but she brought some schoolwork with her. And so she's like, I brought some schoolwork with me. I was like, it's okay, baby. I said, if you need any help, schoolwork, I'm your guy. You just ask me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, except for math. Don't ask me how to do math. Math is confusing. It, I don't, I don't, people are like, math is important. Nope. God gave, gave us Excel so we don't have to learn math. Hello. So, so she, one day I'm in the kitchen and she said, daddy, can you help me out? And I was like, yeah, baby, I got you. And I walked over, she's on the couch, she's got her pencil, um, she's got her pad out, she's got a book, and she goes, how do you figure out the circumference of a cylinder? I'm not making this up. I legitimately went. Alexa, how do you figure out the circumference? And she's like, Daddy, you can't do that. You can't do that. I'm like, I can too. That's why I got, listen, Alexa and Siri are my best friends. We're going to figure this out. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm, I can't do that. I'm, I'm cheating. Like, Baby, technically, I'm cheating. Blame it on me. I can take it, right? <laughs> I've been accused of everything else. So I can handle the cheating accusation. But it just reminded me that I have limited understanding because at the end of the day, all of us have been in a situation, when, and when we're in that situation, we're like, how did I get here? This is not where I wanted to be. If, if we can't understand how we got there, 
How in the world do we think we can figure out how to get out on our own? That's why God is going, hey, trust in me because you, you don't have to figure this out. You don't have to figure this out. Trust in me and let me lead you through this. In fact, that's the next part of this verse. He said, in all your ways, submit to him. And at the end of the day, that's not always fun, like submitting to God. But can we, can we all agree that, that sometimes rules are given or people tell us things that we might not like to hear, but they're good for us? I grew up, and I was born in 1971, and in the 70s and early 80s, people that wore their seatbelts were weird. Seriously, only hippies and weird people wore, wore seatbelts. My dad cut them out of the car. He did. Your dad, too. Your grandpa would cut them out of the car. So when, when the seatbelt law was passed, I was not happy about it. I wasn't. And then I bought a car that, that, for a while, they had the car that just automatically put the seatbelt on you. I'm like, oh, dear God. So here we go. But you know what? I'm really glad that law's around. Because I've got friends that, that, that a seatbelt saved their life. And so at the end of the day, even though we might not like what we're supposed to do, God puts things in life um, in place not to restrict us, but protect us. God's going, hey, if you would just trust me with that, because listen, if we are in a place that we do not want to be, we didn't follow Jesus there. But Jesus said, if you'll trust me, and not try to figure this out, and just do what I show you to do, this is his promise, and this is a good promise. And I'll make your path straight. Now, all of us want that last part. I want my path to be straight every day. But when, when the Bible says, the writer of Proverbs says, he'll make our path straight, it, it's that whole, I'll give you immeasurably more than all you could ever ask or imagine. But in order to have a straight path where we don't live in this state of confusion and fear and worry, anxiety and doubt, we got an invitation just to trust in God. Not a command, not a command. Invitation. Not try to figure it out. God, I'm going to give this area to you. Because, listen, the area of our life that is the most out of control is most likely the area of our life that we're not fully submitting to God. I'll say it again. The area of our life that is most out of control is most likely the area of life that needs to be most submitted to God. And then the promise is, God's promise is that I will make your path straight. Now, in the remaining time, I want to show you how this works out in a story in the scripture that to me is just fascinating because I've heard this story in some way, shape, or form or fashion ever since I became a Christian. But I've never heard it in the way I'm about to teach it because the way I'm about to teach it well, this is where it gets PG-13. So the nation, of, the, the, the nation of Israel, the Hebrews, were enslaved to the Egyptians for like 430 years. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. So they're enslaved to the Egyptians for 430 years. Um, Moses shows up, 10 plagues, parts the Red Sea, 
sets the people free. They march around in the desert for 40 years. It had some issues. We'll talk about that again next week. And they're getting ready to go into what's called the promised land, which is modern-day Israel. Well, Joshua is the leader because Moses has died. And so Joshua decides to send some spies into the land to kind of check out the land and wants to kind of survey things. Okay? Now, Joshua was part of the original group of spies that went in, and there were 12 of them, but Joshua chose two. Now, I'm just going to let the Bible say what the Bible says in this next verse, okay? Here we go. (laughs) I love, love, love the scriptures. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. You ever heard... You ever see that on the felt board Sunday school thing? Anybody clip art? Clip art? Anybody think that's weird? Nobody ever talked about that. I mean, two guys on an out-of-town business trip wind up. Was it an accident? Hey, hello, how are you? What do you do? Oh, you're a hoe. I mean, like, like, like how, how does that conversation break down? I'm totally shocked. I had no idea. We're here for the prayer meeting. Oh, well, we might as well go in. Like, like, like how does that break down? Once again, I'm not making, I'm just saying that humanity has not changed. This is a messed up situation. Here are the children of God, and they walk into Jericho, and they're with a prostitute. Now, let's talk about Rahab for just a second. I'm 99.9% sure that this is not where she wanted to be in life. Prostitute? It's not what she wanted. Like, she didn't come home one day from school. We had career day today, and um, I found this job. It's third shift, but the pay is really good. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like 99.9% sure. This is not where she wanted to be, but she found herself in this place, completely out of control. And then a lot of times when we're in that place, completely out of control, that's an opportunity for people to step in and take advantage of us. All of us have had this. All of us have experienced this. This is Rahab. She's not at a place in life where she wanted to be. And her first introduction to the people of God are two men who take advantage of her. There's no way this situation can turn out good. Or can it? So the next verse we see, but someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight. I guess they had like the the ring doorbell security thing and they kind of saw them come in and so they saw the security footage and called the king of Jericho. And some Israelites come here tonight to spy out the land so the king of Jericho sent orders To Rahab. So evidently, the king knew Rahab. Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab 
had hidden the two men. And she went on to tell the king, oh, they're not here. They, they, do, they went that way or whatever. And at the end of the day, you're kind of reading this going, okay, two men come in. They're with a prostitute. But in the next verse, Rahab, she could have turned these men over. She could have said, you know what, these two guys came in here and they, you know, they took advantage of the situation or whatever. But for some reason, and a lot of people would say they don't know why. I think I know why. But for some reason, Rahab hid and protected these men. Now, why would she do that? I believe, and I'll show you this. I believe it's because God was doing something in her heart. What I'm trying to show here is in order to trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on all our understanding and all our ways submit to him and he'll direct our paths. You don't have to be a great, awesome, moral person who knows a lot of biblical knowledge for that verse to apply to your life. You just have to have a willing heart. That's it. I don't care where you find yourself on the spiritual spectrum, where you might rank yourself, which, by the way, if you're ranking yourself spiritually, you have no friends. Hello. But, like, I don't care where you think you might be in that journey. All it takes for Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to manifest itself in our lives is for you and I to have a willing heart. God was doing something in Rahab's life. She was not a follower of God, and she was not a moral person. But yet she's doing the right thing. And then this is why I think God was doing something in her heart. Because she goes and has a conversation with the spies, and she tells them, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. She, she had a working, she, she was vaguely aware of who God was. Because the spies could have gone off and, oh my, is that all you know about God? Is that it? You don't know, you don't, did you not hear about the ten plagues? There were ten plagues. There were frogs and gnats and locusts and cows died and hell fell from like H-A-I-L, not H-E-L-L. But, but like hell fell from the sky. It was crazy. Ten plagues. And then did you know that there are ten commandments? And by the way, ten commandments and ten plagues and ten represents the number of authority. So anytime you see the number ten, it represents authority. And there's twelve tribes of Israel. And there's twelve tribes. And twelve means faith. And so there's faith and authority. And so we're, don't you know anything, woman? Get to a Bible study. They could have gone off, but you know what? Here we see a woman. She doesn't know that much about God. But she, what she does know, she's like, I, I know he's awesome. This is a woman right here that's modeling. Listen, I'm not at a place I want to be in life. I don't know that much. But here's what I do know. I'm willing to trust him. 
I'm willing to trust him. This is her opening up. And then watch what the spies tell her. This is their, this is their, this is their plan. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. In other words, they said, okay, okay, okay. Everybody, everybody in the city is going to die. Like everybody. Like we're killing everybody. Like, like everybody. Cows, chickens, sheep, everything goes. But they said, we'll keep you and your family alive. This was their plan. When we come to the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. Okay, hold on. Your plan to rescue me is to take a scarlet rope and hang it out the window. Yep. Okay. Why, why don't you just take me with you now? Like, we could just go now, and that way I don't have to worry about it then. No, 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 scarlet rope. Okay, okay. Um, why don't you, like, go back to your people? Why don't you all send a SEAL team in to get us, right? Like, I, like somebody, they got the like, like night vision goggles that can kind of get us out of here. Nope, scarlet rope out the window. I mean, can we be honest? This isn't the rescue plan that I want to hear if I'm Rahab. But you know what she decided to do? Trust in the Lord with all her heart. She left the scarlet rope out the window. She did exactly what she was told to do. And she didn't lean into her own understanding because if she would have, she would have been like, okay, we, need, we all need to climb down this rope. Like this, is not, this is, doesn't make sense. In all her ways, she su submitted to him. And, and in this, I'm just going to make the argument that, um, that, that the prostitution ceased. Here, you can't really say that. Well, if you're a prostitute and your father and your mother and your brothers and the rest of the relatives show up in your house, that's going to limit your business opportunity. Just throwing that out there as a guess. In all her ways, she submitted to him. So what did God do in the life of Rahab? A woman who was in a place where she didn't want to be. Life was completely out of control. She obviously wasn't where she needed to be in her relationship with God. In fact, she barely knew about him, but she had this thing called a willing heart. So the children of Israel marched in to the nation of Israel, they marched around Jericho once a day for six days, and Rahab's probably sitting there watching, going, is this going to work? Is this going to work? Is this going to work? Because we've all taken a step of faith, and in that step of faith, we've worried, is this going to work? Is this going to work? And finally, the walls came down, and the Israelites are coming into the city, and Joshua, and Joshua 6, talks to the two spies that went in in Joshua 2, and he says this. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house. Do you love how he didn't even name her? It's just, it, it, she's got a label. Let me, let me stop. Anybody out there dealing with a label? Like people don't even call you by your name. People call you by your sin. This isn't even in my notes, but I just feel led to stop right here. You are not what people 
call you. You are who God calls you to be. I've heard it said before, and it's so true. People will, they, they know you by your name, but they call you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Don't let anyone that hasn't given their life for you put a label on you. This works out. I'm going to show you in just a second. Because Rahab, right here, she's just known as the prostitute. So get, go get the prostitute, bring out her along with her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And this is where a lot of people would go, that's awesome. She trusted in the Lord with all her heart, and she didn't lean on her own understanding. And all her ways she submitted to God, and, and she wound up in a safe place. Oh, my gosh, that is so amazing. But did you know that God actually had greater plans for this woman named Rahab? This woman that society had written off? This person that, that wasn't leading the moral charge of her city, but she had a willing heart. What could God do with someone who just had an open and willing heart to whatever he wanted to do. It blew my mind. Because this is the last that many of us hear about Rahab. But I was reading the Gospels one day, and there's a really boring part of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I know I'm not supposed to call the Bible boring, but it was boring for a while until I began to see some stuff. It's the so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. There's a, there's a lot of begatting going on and all that stuff. But then, all the names. The names. This is the lineage, don't miss this, of Jesus. Without these people all their junk and all their stories and everything, without these people in this list, we don't get Jesus. This is how Jesus came to us. And it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, this is the record. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. And his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Watch it, it gets interesting. It gets interesting. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was. not Rahab the prostitute because in Christ that label's removed Rahab the woman that didn't have it all together the woman that's completely out of control but who had an open and willing heart and was just willing to say God right now in this moment even though it doesn't make sense 
I'm going to trust you. I'm going to accept your invitation. I'm not going to try to figure this out on my own because I can't figure this out on my own. I'm going to submit this area of my life to you. And what did God do for Rahab? Immeasurably more than all she could have ever asked or imagined. When we met her, she's a prostitute. But by the end of the story, she's a princess from whom God used to bring about Jesus. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus doesn't just love people that are a mess. Jesus came through people that are a mess. So we're going to circle back around to this invitation. And I'm speaking specifically today to the person who's watching, who you're at a place in life you never thought you'd be here and things are completely out of control. I want to offer you an opportunity today to just acknowledge, God, I don't understand what's going on. God, I'm not sure of where everything stands in my life, but you know what, God? I'm going to accept your invitation and I'm going to trust you. Here I am, God. I am, I'm going to surrender and just trust you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray for every single person watching. For the person that's wrestling with death or disease or debt or despair or there's so many things that just weigh us down and we we know we're not where we need to be and we've been told clean up and, and act right or whatever but God I just pray that everybody would just push the pause button I pray for the person that just needs to stop and say God right now I have a willing heart because God if you can do it for Rahab you can do it for me. If you can do it for somebody else, you guys. So God, I'm gonna trust you. Here I am, God. Here I am, fully surrendered. I want to acknowledge that I need you. God, here's my heart, fully surrendered. I need you. Here I am, God, right now. High and surrendered. I need you. Here I am, God. With my whole heart, I need you.